Well, kids, if you want to come on up and get on the front pew, I would like to have a few minutes to visit with you. How many of you kids have to do chores at your house? You do chores in the nighttime. What are some of your chores? You have to clean the table. Let's say you pick up your toys and put them away. Okay, so is that every single day you have to do that or every single night before you go to bed? Sometimes you do it in the morning. Okay. Audrey? Okay. Anybody else? Uh, what, did you, what do you have to do, Marie? What are some of the chores you do? Clean your room. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I was the oldest of seven kids. And that was a lot of people. And so my mom and dad had us do different chores because it was a lot of work for my mom to be a stay-at-home mom. And she literally, our laundry pile was always this big. Always. And my mom had to cook lots of food. And so, and my dad worked three jobs just so that we could have food and clothes. So we kids had to help a lot. Well, we had a dog. His name was Sandy. We had a couple of cats. One was Samantha and one was Tabitha. My mom loved the cats and she took care of the cats. And she loved Sandy, but she did not like walking Sandy. So I had to walk Sandy. I hated walking Sandy. And I would get so angry when they'd say, it's time for you to go take Sandy for a walk. I'm like, I don't take a walk for Sandy. And one time I got so mad and I was actually yelling at my dad. And my dad said, you go out there and do what you told. Fine. And I put the chain around my, because Sandy was a big dog. And I put the chain around my belly and I latched it and he was pulling and I was like this. And I just kept walking and kept walking and kept walking. I was probably two miles away from our house when my dad, an hour later, pulled up in the car, opened the door and said, get in. And Sandy got into the car, and then I got into the car, and then my dad and I had a long talk because he said, number one, we don't ask you to do a lot of things around here, but we do ask you to help because you're part of this family, and this is your chore, and I expect you to do what I'm telling you to do. And number two, don't you ever do this again. You scared your mother, and you scared me. We didn't know what had happened to you. We thought maybe you had been kidnapped or maybe you had been hit by a car. We didn't know. Don't ever do this to us again. And I was crying by that time. I felt horrible. But I was so angry because I didn't want to do it. But it really wasn't that big of a deal to just do walk a dog. I didn't have to go out and make money to, make, to buy food. That was my dad's job. And I didn't have to cook the food. That was my mom's job. And I didn't have to do all that laundry. That was my mom's job. All I had to do was walk the dog. And I had to make my bed. But that was it. See, but there were two things that I did wrong that day. Number one, I yelled at my dad. Number two, 
I didn't do what I was told to do. I didn't do my chore properly. And you know what? The Bible says we have as children, we have one job. You know what that one job is? The Bible says, let me read it to you. It's in the book of Exodus, chapter 20. It says, honor your father and your mother. That is the only job kids have from the Bible. What does it mean to honor your father and mother? When they ask you to do something, you do it. When, you, when they say something and you're not happy about it, you don't yell at them. When you're not happy, you should be allowed to say, Mom, I'm not happy. Dad, I'm not happy. And that's okay. But don't you ever call them names. You know, one time I told my dad I hated him. I was so mad. I went, I hate you. Well, that was not a good thing. That's something you should never do. Something you should never, ever, ever do. And you know what's really cool? Not cool, but what's kind of scary about this? This particular job that God gave to all children, it says, honor your father and your mother so that you can live a long time. That kind of sounds like if you don't do it, you're going to die. And I don't mean it that way. I don't mean that you're going to die. But seriously, God said, if you want, to my, if you want my blessing... If you want to live a long time and have, a, have blessings on your life, the one thing you need to do is honor your mother and your father always, even after you're an adult. If, you, I, if I keep going to church, uh-huh. I will keep learning about God. Yes, you will. And one of the things you'll learn is that God loves your mom and your, your dad and your brothers and your sisters, and God wants all of us to love each other. And then one way we can do that is always honor and be nice and good to our mom and dad and listen to what they say. Now, it's not easy sometimes, but it is what, we are, what our job is. It's what the one chore God asks you to do. So I want to pray with you right now, and I want to ask God to help you to do the one job that God has for you. Okay? Let's pray. God, I ask that you would bless these kids, and I ask that you would help them, Lord, to be able to find ways to always do the one job you've given them, and that's to honor their mom and their dad. Help them, God, to always remember that when they're upset or when they're sad or when they don't feel good or when they're being asked to do something they don't want to do. Help them, Father, always to remember you still expect them to honor their mom and dad regardless of what they're facing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys can go and sit with your teachers, I guess, right? Is somebody taking the back? Yeah, Miss Tammy's already back in the room. Chores. I hate them. And I'm being transparent here. Now, I told the kids that one of my jobs was to make my bed. I didn't share with them that we had seven kids in our family. It was very hard for my parents to support us, so we did what we had to do. They did what they had to do, and the end result was my brother Chris and I shared a full-size bed. And one time I was told to clean that room and make that bed. My brother Chris refused to help, so I made half the bed. I got a spanking for that. My mother was not pleased. Um, Talking about chores... Before we do that, though, talking about fathers, because as I was preparing for this, I didn't want to go into the standard. We're going to have a Father's Day service and we're going to do Father's Sermon. But the reality was God really wanted me to focus on fathering and parenting and what it means. And so 
I, uh, one, I remember when I was in Bible college, somebody used an illustration in one of their sermons that they did for a class. And I thought, I wonder if that's real or if that was something that they just heard and made up. So I looked it up on the only reliable source that I have, and that's called the Internet. And I found it, so I know it's true. At least it's out on the Internet, so I didn't make it up. Okay? And what this story is, is this. Whether it's a true story or not, it is out there. The uh, Hallmark Greeting Card Company made, a possible, made it possible for prisoners in a major prison somewhere in the United States to have greeting cards for their moms for Mother's Day. So the company came, brought cases of Mother's Day cards. The, the prison had them all sitting there. The prisoners lined up one at a time to get their cards, and they ran out of cards before they ran out of prisoners. And so they then had to have more quickly sent to the prison so the rest of the prisoners could have a Mother's Day card to send in the mail to their mother so that they would receive it by Mother's Day. It was such an overwhelming response from the prisoners that they decided five or six weeks later to do the same thing for Father's Day. So they sent the same number of cases of cards, this time accounting for the fact that they had not had enough the first time, and said all the cards for Father's Day there at the prison, and not a single prisoner came forward to get a card for Father's Day. What does that say? A lot. It says a lot. Now, is it true? I can't prove that it's true, but it sounds real. Well, that was part of the story was that they didn't even know who their father was, so they had no way of sending a, a card to a, to a person who was their father. Um, I can tell you in, in my own life, my grandfather, my mother's father, he was literally a foundling. He was literally a baby in a basket back in 19-whatever-it-was with a note, please take care of my child, I can't take care of him. And so we have no idea what his heritage was, who his parents were, and he never knew who his father was or his mother. Um, <clears throat> he grew up in a home. I mean, he, he didn't grow up in an, in an orphanage or anything. He had a family. But natural biological parents, he never knew who they were. Um, my father's father, his father died when my father... My, okay, let's start this again. My great-grandfather, okay? Great-grandfather Sugden died when my grandfather Sugden was two years old. My grandfather Sugden... His father was English. His mother was American. They were living in England. My, grand, <clears throat> my great-grandmother was not liked by my great-grandfather's family, so when her husband died, she went back to the United States taking her son, my grandfather. My grandfather, Frank Sugden, was two years old when his father died, so he moved back to the States never knowing his father. Then he got married and had two children, my father and my aunt. And at the age, when my father was the age of 13 and my aunt was the age of 6, my grandfather completed suicide. So my father grew up from the age of 13 all the way through the rest of his life without having a father. And I won't get into all the nitty gritty and dirt, but the day my grandfather died, my grandfather had gone to my, bro my father's room and said, Bob, my dad's name was Bob. He said, Bob, would you come with me to my shop? I need some help. And my dad was like, Dad... I had plans for today. I want to go hang out with my friends. And his father said, okay, don't worry about it. Fine. And so Frank, my grandfather, went to his shop, found a tree, and hanged himself. 
my father, age 13, lived with for the rest of his life, if I had only gone, I could have kept that from happening. Never got the help that he needed. Never knew how to get the help that he needed. Didn't have any friends in his life to speak of. He and my mom were the close confidants. Now, let's go to my mom's side of the family. My grandfather, as I told you, was a foundling. My grandmother, on the other hand, had her family that beat her and verbally abused her all the time. And then she passed that lovely trait down to her children. Thankfully, my mom broke that cycle. She didn't beat us, but she did use really harsh words and spoke harshly to us. So I have a father who's broken because he has no father in his life and doesn't know how to be a father. And I have a mother who has got a rage issue and doesn't know how to express her rage appropriately. And the end result is we got parented by broken people. Seven kids living in a house of nine. The man trying to work three jobs just to provide for us. Mom desperately trying just to take care of nine people. And they're broken human beings. Now add to the mix, well, we have to be holy. We have to be righteous and we have to be pure. I can remember one Sunday we were driving to church and my mom and dad got into it in the front seat of the car and my mother said, pull over. And my dad pulled over. He said, what are you doing? She said, I'm going home. You can't go home. I'll watch me. I am not going to church like this. And she got out of the car and she walked home and we went on to church because heaven forbid you don't go to church on Sunday morning. It was just all this stuff. Now, I have no idea what your world is and I don't want to know what your world is. I mean, I do have some idea because I know you guys. But what I'm saying is I'm not there day by day, moment by moment, seeing your interaction with the human beings in your life. But the reality is all of us live in a broken, fallen world as a result of sin. All of us have inherited stuff from our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents. All of us have dysfunction of some form or fashion. All of us. Because if there was perfect, you would be held up in a mountain. Everyone would be looking at you going, oh, look at them. They're so great. They're so wonderful. They're so glorious. And then you would say, if only you knew. There's not a single human family that's perfect. However, on Fathering Sunday, it's my job to show you perfection Not because you should feel guilty that this is not part of what your life is, but this is at least something to shoot for. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is the idea of parenting or fathering, if you will. Um, But from the understanding that we're broken people living in a broken world, struggling with fallenness, struggling with the fact that, you know, you may have had the perfect relationship. I mean, my wife grew up in a great, incredible environment. Now, her mom and dad had their stuff. But she was brought up in a godly, loving home where they read the Bible regularly. They prayed together. Her father was a pastor. They, they were wonderful, glorious people. And she was so innocent. Even to this day, if my kids say something, if she hears a word, there are words my wife still doesn't understand and know the meaning of. And we're just like, honey, don't say that word. Why? You don't need to know. Just don't say that word. Innocent. And she's 50, 60 years old. She's still that innocent in some ways. And so I married into that family and glommed quickly onto them because they were healthy. And actually it was hard because my mom was jealous of my relationship with my in-laws because I was closer to them than I was to my mom and dad because my mom and dad were so broken. I mean, when my dad died, I mean, to this day, I don't know what his favorite color was. I don't know what his greatest hope, well, I do know some of his greatest hopes But there was so much damage. My dad couldn't talk to me about personal stuff. 
I mean, quite honestly, when I was in 2005, my wife and I went down to Birch Hill, uh, Birch Hill, Birch Lake, down near Delta. And we, we spent three days doing uh, just a three-day vacation for our, 20, for our uh, 25th? What was it? Yeah, 2005, 25th wedding anniversary. And the morning of our 25th anniversary, I was having quiet time with God, with God and I was journaling. And all of a sudden, the journal started into a letter to my dad. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I turned to Renee and I said, honey, uh, um, is it okay if I do this? It's going to be a while. She said, yeah, it's fine. And I wrote out a letter to my dad. And it got, I mean, it was long. And then finally, it was real enough that I said, I want to send this to my dad. So we drove back to Eielson Air Force Base. I got into the library there on the base, got on a computer and started typing. 12-point font, one-inch margins, five pages of typewritten text. I had her read it. I said, is there anything inappropriate here? She said, no, you've said everything appropriately. You've said everything kindly. You have spoken fact. I signed it, and I mailed it June 14th, 2005. Then we went back to our vacation. Fast forward three months. July, August, September. God says to me during my private time, call your father. I'm not calling him. Call your father. I am not calling him. He hasn't talked to me once since I sent that letter. I poured my heart out to him and he has rejected me. Call your father. I am not calling my father, God. Call your father. So I pick up the phone and I call my father and he answers. Now, normally, when I would call my father, he would talk to me maybe two and a half minutes. And unless I asked him about his new computer... He would then hand the phone off to my mom. Hey, you want to talk to your mom? And so I would get two and a half minutes with my dad. That was it. My dad picks up the phone on that call in September of 2005. And we talked probably 40 minutes. And he said to me, you don't know how many times over the last three months I have stood in my office with my hand hovered over the telephone trying to will myself to pick up that phone and call you, but I was too afraid. Because I didn't know what to say to you because I know that I had harmed you so badly. When I got your letter and I read your letter, Bob, my first thought was, oh my God, I've turned into my mother. Everything I swore I wouldn't do to my kids, I did. Everything she did to me, I did to you. And I am so, so sorry. Please forgive me. And then he said, and I'll say it, hopefully I'm not going to cry. He said to me, I need you to know something, Bob. I love you from the depth of my being. And I am so proud of you. Two thousand and five was that phone call. Almost exactly five years later, I was standing over his grave, and I was able to say to my siblings and my aunt, his sister, and all the other sundry people gathered at the graveside, it is well with my soul. What needed to be said was said. What needed to be resolved have been resolved, and I'm at peace. 
And I think he was at peace too. Now, we were broken human beings. We had grown up in broken environments. We didn't know how to properly relate. I can remember when I turned 13. I can remember distinctly my dad began to smother me. I had no idea why. But he was just smothering me with attention and love and, and, and trying to be in my face at all times. And my response to it was, you haven't been here for the last 13 years. You've been out at three different jobs. Why do I want you in my life now? Now, I never said those words to him, but emotionally I did this. In 25 years of marriage, my mom and dad were in my home twice. Once for the wedding and once to visit us for seven days. After three days, all of a sudden, my mom and dad remember that a friend of theirs from many, many years ago had just moved less than three hours drive away. So they cut their week short with us. So while they were on this side of the country, they could go visit their friend. And then from there, they drove back to California. That was all in the letter. I said, Dad, do you realize I spent 25 years of my life taking my vacation time to go be with you? I spent everything to reach out to you. I can remember, Dad, standing in the driveway as we're getting ready to drive away after having spent a week with you remodeling your bathroom. And weeping like a baby, snot-nosed, and you not knowing how to respond to it. Why? Because for the first time in my life, I felt like I had connected with you on an emotional level, and you couldn't do it with me. <sighs> but it is well with my soul. Because I was able to say to my dad those words and he was able to receive them and we were able to talk about it afterwards. And it was resolved. He wasn't perfect. I wasn't perfect. We didn't have perfect conversations after September of 2005. But we at least didn't have skeletons in the closet. We didn't have elephants in the room we were able to talk with each other and look in each other's eyes and know that it was okay. Now, having said all of that, let me tell you what the Bible says about a perfect family. If you And don't turn to all these because I, I have a slew load of scriptures I'm going to just refer you to, but... If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, with all of your strength. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. The scriptures, the idea of God being part of your life should be a natural part of every part of your daily life with your family members. That's what the Bible tells us. 
Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So that's a promise from God. If you do what I'm telling you to do, your kids are going to grow up and they're going to be a faithful member of the family of God. And then, I looked for the chore from God for parents. Remember, I just shared with the kids what was the chore from God. The chore from God is honor your parents. And although in the, the, the New Testament it's an admonishment, quote-unquote, to fathers, I would submit that it's actually fathers and mothers. Because it's actually the head of household, whoever the head of household is. Because in some cases, like in if you look at the person who was an associate of Paul's, Timothy, his father wasn't a believer, his mother and grandmother were. They were the spiritual influence in his home. So the father wouldn't have been teaching him anything about God. It would have been mom and grandma. So whoever the spiritual head of that house is, these are the words that God says are the chore for that parent. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, Colossians chapter 3, 21. Let me read you Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 4. Parent, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Colossians, parent, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And don't provoke them because otherwise they're going to become discouraged. Those are the chores that God has given to parents. That's it. Yes, there's other stuff. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, blah, blah, blah. But when it specifically talks about parenting, these are the only two admonishments in all of the Word of God to parents. Don't provoke your kids. Period. My wife quoted that to me many, many times during our children's growing up years. (laughs) Fathers, do not provoke your children. Shut up. Now, this next part, I need to testify that uh, as I was researching this, there's a, a website called Got Questions. They also have an app. And it's like, it's this incredible resource of, of, if you need a quick study on any particular topic, go to gotquestions.org, type in whatever your question is, and there's a possibility that they're going to have a researched answer from the Bible out of it. It's really, really good. It's a little bit skewed theologically away from what I believe, but as far as basic, what does the Bible say about something, this is a good resource. And there are three things that I picked up from this preparation through them. Number one, the head of the household, whoever it is, the head of the household should set the example for the rest of the family. And you know what that example is? If you go to Mark chapter 10, verse 44, it says, whoever would be first must be slave to all. Whoever wants to be number one needs to be the servant to everyone else. Wow. So if I'm being asked to be the head of the household, it's not a prestigious thing where I get all the benefits. Literally, I'm the one that should be wiping the toilets and making sure everybody's taken care of and making sure kids are taken care of when they're sick. I should be a servant even to my wife if I want to be the head. Number two, the head of the household is responsible to God for the rest of the family's well-being, whether it's spiritual, emotional, or physical. 
If you look in 1 Samuel chapter 3, when God initially talks to Samuel, he gives word through, from God to Samuel about Eli the priest. And this is what God said to Samuel. I declare to Eli that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew of because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Eli, the chief priest, the head guy over all of the Jewish worship, had two sons who were just living raucous, ungodly lives. And Eli knew about it and didn't do anything about it. And the end result was God held Eli accountable as well as the sons. He said, you're the head. It is your job to make sure that they're doing right. And if nothing else, you should at least challenge them on it. Another one, Genesis chapter 3. This is the incident between God and Adam and Eve after they've eaten of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And what Adam should have said, being the head of his household, he should have said, yes, sir, and I'm very sorry. But what did he say? She made me do it. And what did she say? Following the example of her head. The snake made me do it. Eve wasn't doing anything. I mean, she was culpable for her own actions. But she followed the lead from her leader. And her leader was deflecting the blame off of himself. The head of the household should have stood before God and said... With his tail between his legs, I am so heartily sorry for having offended you and for having disobeyed you. And please forgive us. Would have been probably a totally different outcome. <coughs> now, here comes the benefit part. Okay. And this is this is biblical. The head of the household, the one who wants to take responsibility to stand before God and, and be the one that take all the hits from God when the family's not doing right. And the one who needs to be the servant of all. The one plus, the one benefit that they can hold is if there is a disagreement between the members of the household, the head of the household has 51% of the vote. Now, 51% is not 99%. 51% means they still have to go in conference with the rest of the house. They still have to talk together. They still have to try to work together. But when the final decision comes, if there is disagreement, someone has to make a decision. Someone has to take action. Knowing that they're responsible before God, they should step forward and say, this is what we're doing. And this is where this statement from Colossians and Ephesians comes in, where Paul said, wives, submit to your husband. He wasn't saying, allow him to walk on you like you're a doormat. That's not what Paul was saying to these people. He was saying, if this person is taking responsibility for the headship of this house, then you need to step aside and let them do it before God. Not challenging them at all, at all points. Now the problem comes, and I'm not asking you to look around the room, but you know who's in this room. Some of you wait, ladies, I have the responsibility of being that spiritual head in your home. 
Because for whatever reason, the, the human, the male part of your family is choosing not to take that lead. And somebody has to, or chaos is going to reign. And children will not be disciplined. And you will end up with kids that are running out in the world instead of following the leadership of God. Because the promises of God is if you train them in the way that they're supposed to go, they won't depart from it when they're old. But somebody has to do it. The ideal is this. The reality is this. It's all over the place. Now let's talk about the reality that most of us sitting here are older and don't have people that, we're no longer, that we are no longer nurturing or caring for. Ah, what, what, are we, what are you saying to us, Pastor? <coughs> I'm saying be the guy who was too afraid to pick up the phone for three months. Reach out to the one that's dysfunctional with you and say, let's talk. Let's talk about the elephant that's in the room every time we're together. Let's go there so that you don't have to stand over my grave with regrets. Because that's what adults do. Adults are not it's not that they're not afraid, but adults go there. They force themselves in, into the uncomfortable to make the healing take place. And so I, I say to you, if you are a parent and you're the male part of the household and you're a Christian, it is your responsibility before God. If you are the female part of the household and you're a Christian and the male counterpart is not stepping up and doing their job, it is your responsibility before God. And if you are already past the child rearing age or you never had children, but you have other humans in your life where there's dysfunction, go there and make it right. Because if you're the spiritual head of whatever group you're part of, God is going to ask you when you get to the gate, why didn't you? I was right there with you. And if you had, wouldn't it have been better? Now, I'm, I, none of this, I have, none of this is to make any of us feel bad. My whole point in this was for us to just look at the reality. You know the situation you're facing. You know your regrets. You know your dysfunction. You know the relationships that need repair. I don't even need to hear any of it. But for those of you who have opportunity to still make it right, do it. Go there. Make it right to the best of your ability. Did you know in the Romans, in the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 18, I think it is. It's not in my notes, so I can't point to it. Well, I can because I have a Bible. Look at that. What a concept. <coughs> Excuse me. Romans chapter 12. Well, maybe it's not. Where are you? Yeah, it is chapter 12, isn't it? Father, show it to me. Well, I can't find it because this isn't the Bible I normally study from. Um, it is be at peace with all human beings as much as it depends on you. That's what it says. It's in Romans. Look it up. 
but it's be at peace with all human beings as much as it depends on you. It is your responsibility to at least go there and try to make it right. So whether it's your spouse, your kids, your parent, your aunt that you've been estranged from, whoever it is, you who know Christ have an onus before God to make it right. And if it's your family, you definitely have to do it. And if you have young ones in the house, you definitely have to do it because they're watching. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much. This is not fun stuff. I don't like talking about these things. But this is what we have to deal with, Father. We live in a broken world. And we all have had situations that have hit us that have caused damage and harm. And we just need to just deal with it. So, God, I ask that you give us the courage, the, the encouragement, the strength, the wisdom, the discernment. And help us, Father, to force our hand to grab the receiver, pick it up, and dial so that we can make it right with those that need to be made right with. I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.